Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Let's do that now. Let's uh, turn to Genesis chapter 13. You'll find that on page 9 of the, the Black Bibles that will be in front of you or on the window ledge. That's page 11 uh, in the large print. Read the whole chapter. Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negeb. Now Abraham, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to take the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, whilst Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see i will give to you and to your offspring forever i will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth your offspring also can be counted arise walk through the length and the breadth of the land for i will give it to you So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were at Hebron, 
And there he built an altar to the Lord. Amen. These are the words of the Lord. Well, it's wonderful to be back with you this evening. Thank you so much for your really warm welcome uh, earlier today uh, and this evening. It's been a wonderful uh, Lord's Day to spend uh, with you all. and look forward to uh, maybe speaking with you uh, and meeting you after the service uh, as well if we didn't get a chance to speak this morning. Uh, as we come to God's Word, let me invite you to open uh, back up to page 9 of your Bibles, Genesis chapter 13, uh, where we'll be spending uh, some time this evening. Uh, and as we do that, let's pray that God would speak as we have his Word open before us. Our Father, we have prayed already in our time this evening that you would be our vision, that you would be the Lord of our hearts, and we pray again that you would help us now by your Spirit to set aside, Lord, every distraction, every stray thought, Lord, every lesser love. Lord, help us, we pray, to hear your voice, to see you clearly, to see you more fully, and to be equipped and changed and helped, Lord, for the coming week to love you and serve you as you alone deserve. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, say you were going to go and live in a new place, uh, as no doubt some of you have done in the last few weeks. What is uh, the first thing that you think to do? Uh, well, you go, don't you, and you see it. It's a no-brainer. Why wouldn't you? Uh, students, when you were deciding where you would go and live and study, uh, I imagine that you trekked up and down the country, visiting different cities, uh, seeing different UDs, seeing if what the website had to offer was real, true. Why wouldn't you do that? Or, or maybe the, the very thought of moving uh, it gets your heart pumping a bit faster, the stress, the thought of uh, house viewings. Uh, maybe some of you have done that recently, gone and seen different flats or different houses. You, you want to make sure, don't you, that it's the right one. You go and see it. You walk around, but you know you have to move quickly. It's stressful, but that's what we do, isn't it? Because when we're weighing up our futures... We can only go by what our senses tell us, can't we? We can only feel our way along with our hands. We can only view what's on offer with our eyes. Or, or, or can our eyes deceive us? Seeing something for ourselves gives us confidence to go for it, doesn't it? We, we trust in what we can touch with our own hands. But is that where real confidence comes from as we navigate this life? Can we really hang our lives and our futures, our destinies on what is right there in front of us? Or is there a, a firmer and a more secure, more solid foundation that we can build our lives, our futures, our destinies upon? That is the question that Genesis wants us to wrestle with this evening as we pick up the story in chapter 13, because here we see two men uh, Abram and his nephew Lot have to decide where they are going to build their lives. And they make that decision in two completely different ways. Uh, now perhaps uh, this part of the Bible is familiar to us, or parts of it anyway. We have a general idea of, of the journey of, of Abram uh, 
parting ways with Lot. Maybe you remember uh, Sunday school hearing about that. But, but why did we learn it in Sunday school? Why is it in the book of Genesis? What is it here to, to tell us and to teach us? Well, I think it's this, that, that Abram and Lot, they base their decision on two very different ways of seeing. I wonder if you pick that up as Struan read it for us. One of them looks and sees a city that looks brilliant on the outside, but is rotten to the core, but he chooses to go and build his life there. The other one looks for a city that can't be seen from the outside, but that God has promised him will belong to him and to his family forever. Which would you choose? Which is the better choice? Who, who was right in that decision? Which seems more, more secure to you? How do we choose where to build our own lives, our, our families, our futures today? Well, Genesis will urge us tonight, brothers and sisters, to look for the city you can't see. Look for the city you can't see. Uh, but before we get there, there's a really important step that we can't miss, and that is the reunion. That's our first point this evening, the reunion. Uh, now, if you've ever fallen out with somebody close to you, as I'm sure you've done, I've done it, I've been there, uh, well, to get that relationship back as it was, there's a difficult conversation to have, isn't there? And that is where Abraham and God are at the beginning of this chapter. Chapter 12, uh, God made his covenant with Abram. Now, covenant is is a relationship that God begins based on his promises to human beings. And so God promised Abram that he would bless him and through him and his family would, would bless every family of the world. It's such an important part of the Bible in chapter 12. Uh, Now now that word blessing, that's what God promised, blessing. Uh, Now that's become a container, hasn't it, for for whatever kind of lifestyle we kind of want to pack into that word. What is it you think of when you think of hashtag blessed? When was the last time you saw that? What comes to mind? There could be as many answers to that as there are people here tonight. But in Genesis, blessing means something specific because God's blessing is the opposite of his curse. When the first people sinned, God cursed his creation. Human beings would now live at a distance from him and they wouldn't have the life that he designed and created them for. They would know his anger at their rebellion. And so when God gives his blessing, what is he doing? He is giving us back the life that we were designed and created for, to be at one with our creator, life with him again, welcomed back into his presence, to know his pleasure with us. Well, God promised that would be true of Abram and it would be true of others through him and his family. And so to to skip ahead, quite a long way in our Bibles. The Bible says we still today can have and know God's blessing and be at one with our creator through Abraham's distant, promised, chosen family member, Jesus Christ. That was God's plan in a nutshell, that the full flowering of the seed that God sowed in Genesis chapter 12 is 
is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The point is that God's blessing isn't now and it wasn't then some kind of lifestyle or thing we could go out and get or find. It wasn't being rich or famous or having a nice bit of land or or a comfy life. The blessing was and is a relationship with God himself. That is God's blessing which makes what happened next so disastrous. At the end of chapter 12, Abram threw God's promises back in his face. He left the place God sent him to live in. Uh, He gave up his wife, uh, through whom God intended to give him children, and he brought God's curse on an unsuspecting nation that God had intended to bless. I'll leave you to read back into chapter 12 later on. God is gracious and faithful. He he saved Abram out of his sin. The covenant survives. But relationships, relationships still need healing. And that's what Abram goes to see to at the start of this chapter. See verse 1, he comes back from Egypt where he'd been. Verse 3, he goes back up through the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. What is he doing? Well, after his unfaithfulness and failure, he is going back to where he knew God personally and fully and closely in the past out of a desire to know him personally, closely, more fully again. There, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. He wants to start over with his God. Now, to be really clear, Abram hasn't lost his relationship with God. God kept his promise and saved him. There's nothing that he could do to change that. But as in any relationship where there is broken trust, it needs to be put back together. Sorries need to be said. Forgiveness is needed. The way we say this today in our relationship with Christ is that we we can't lose our union with him. He's done what he's done for us. We can't change that, but, but we can lose our communion with him, our sense of being close with him, of being in step with him. When we have sinned and we don't come to him to confess, when we leave it, when we live at a distance from him, we don't draw near to him, our communion with him suffers. And what we need then is a reunion to come back to Christ, wanting things to be right again, to be close again, to say sorry for what we need to say sorry for, to to change what we need to change so that we can walk with him as we once did, to call on him personally out of this desire for things to be as he designed for them to be. Abram goes back to God for a reunion. And it is out of that reunion that things really start to change in his life. And perhaps for some of us, that's where we need to start tonight. We, we simply will not make the right choices in life if we are keeping God at arm's length. And so before we go on to think about how we live life, how we choose where to build our our future. If that is you, perhaps you need to turn first to God and say that and say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry 
that I've lived at a distance from you. I want to be close to you. Please forgive me. Draw me near. If you need a reunion with the Lord this evening, go to him first and speak to him by name. Okay, don't skip over this first point. It might just seem like uh, the, the introduction. It's not. We, we need things to be right with God, don't we? Before we can go on. Because his blessing is not something that we can go out and get. It is the relationship itself that we have with our Creator. It's that relationship that ultimately makes the difference between these two guys, Abram uh, and Lot, which brings us to our second point this evening, then, the rear view. Uh, now, Abram, he doesn't go back to God's place on his own. He comes back from Egypt, verse 2, very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. So, if we picture Abram as a kind of uh, wandering vagabond, we've not kept up with the story. Uh, we've got a picture of a whole camp, okay, tents, animals, servants spread out over the land, and, and somewhere in the middle, a, a very lavish, rich family consisting of Abram, his wife Sarai, and their nephew Lot, who's traveling with them. In, in fact, between them, we read Abram and Lot have grown so rich that when they get back to where they started, they find that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. That their shepherds start getting into fistfights because there's no room for them to, to live together. Uh, now, what Abram does next is a bold move in verse 9. Let's not argue, he says to Lot, we're family after all. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. You choose, he says. Whatever you take, I'll, I'll take what's left. It, it sounds maybe like he's just trying to patch things up with his nephew, which I'm sure he is. But we've got to understand, he's still working things out with God himself. How's that? Because God promised him this land right here where he's standing, but now he's offering his nephew the choice between staying here or going somewhere else. Okay, we can't both stay here. He says, if you stay, I'll go. If you go, I'll stay. So he's taking a big risk, but he's taking this risk with his trust in the Lord to give the right outcome. He's not scheming. He's not plotting. Okay, do we see the difference between those things? He's, he's not trying to trick and to deceive Lot, is he, in the way that he's tried to trick a, a foreign king in the past into getting what he wants. No. Now he's betting his future on God's word. God has promised. He will give the outcome. I, I don't have to scheme and lie to get, to get the thing that I want. I can let go of this decision and trust it to the Lord that he will do what he said he will do. So Abram's operating, operating completely differently now than he did in, in the last crisis in his life. Going away from God, he depended on himself to sort it out. Coming back to God, he depends on God to sort it out. He's living by faith. But the big thing that Genesis wants us to pick up at this point is the very different way that Lot makes his choice. Now, if you just look down at verse 10, what does Lot do? 
Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. It's all in the eyes, isn't it? It's all what he saw. And what does he see with his eyes? Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. What of ye? The valley before him is lush and green and fruitful. What does it look like? Well, two, two first impressions. Do you see that? The first impression is that it looks like the garden of the Lord. It's not just any garden. It looks like God's garden. It looks like the Garden of Eden to him, thinks Lot. Now, now remember what God's blessing is, life the way that God created it to be, people back with God in God's place. So Lot looks at this valley and thinks to himself, that is where God's blessing must be. The Garden of the Lord, surely that's it. Only one problem. It's not the place God promised and showed to his family to be theirs forever. They are standing in the heart of that promised land. The valley that Lot is looking at is away over the border to the east. It's as if God's showing them round the new family home. Look what I've got for you, he says. Look, here's the master bedroom. Here's the kitchen. Here's the garden. But Lot is eyeing up the house across the road. So much So it might look like God's place, but it's not where God says that his place is. But in Lot's eyes, the place that God hasn't promised somehow looks much more promising. But what else does it look like? Second impression, see that? Like the land of Egypt. So weirdly, that the place of God's blessing also looks a lot like the place that he's just rescued them out of in chapter 12. Now, that's really important because of who Genesis is written for. If, as we trust that it is written by Moses, who is it written for? It is written for the Israelites, probably as they are wandering about in the wilderness, after having been rescued from Egypt and before they get into the promised land. They, too, looked in the rearview mirror and saw a better country than the one that God had promised. What do they say? Why have you brought us out here to die? We had it so good before. We had everything that we could ever dream of back where we came from. Now, was that true? Of course it wasn't true. They had been slaves in the land that they had come from. Their their senses had deceived them. Yet they decided what they had seen back there was better than what they hadn't seen, but that God had promised to give them. We know that they were so wrong about that. And Lot is wrong about this too. This land, this land that looks like a garden of the Lord, this land that looks like the land of Egypt, what he saw with his eyes looked to him like the place of God's blessing, But Genesis gives us a knowing look at the end of verse 10, as if to say, but you know what's coming, don't you? This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of that valley. Lot chose to live by what he could see in front of him, 
And so Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Is that really such a good idea? Genesis says it wasn't even at the time, verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. It looked amazing from the outside. The best thing he'd ever seen, but get inside and it is rotten to the core. And friends, we know what's coming, don't we? That Sodom and Gomorrah are cursed by God and wiped off the map for their sin. But Lot couldn't see anything there but beauty and blessing and life. That's where I'll build my life, he said. That's where I'll take my family. That's where I'll bet my future, in the city I can see. But brothers and sisters, Genesis is inviting us to see what Lot can't see, which is that choosing to build your life based on what you can see and touch and taste in front of you is not a safe way to choose to live. That house that looks like the dream house, your forever family home, It's got space for everyone. It's in a great area. It's next to a brilliant school. But it's so far from a good church that it's going to be such a stretch to get there on a Sunday, let alone get to know anyone there and bed down. It's that guy, that that girl, who looks amazing. You get on really well. There's a real chemistry. You're really drawn to them. You feel like you're falling in love. He, He or she could be the one but they're not a Christian. And Christ isn't the heart of that relationship. And if you're honest, you're less and less of a Christian when you're around her. It's that family, those kids, their their school, their clubs, their friends, their parents, they look like the perfect family. What do I have to do to make my family, my home, my life, my kids have that good job, Good money, good school, nice, nice clothes, right opinions. But all the, all the while, what, what are the kids, what are the family learning? To love what the world loves. To value what the world values. What? Freedom, comfort, privacy, anything but Christ. Friends, where in our lives are we trusting our eyes to show us where God's blessing is? Where do we look out at the world and say, the garden of the Lord, the garden of the Lord? In some ways, this is the test of our faith, because unlike we think in the Bible, the opposite of living by faith is not living by atheism, it is living by sight. I think that's a big challenge for Christians today in a world that seems to offer all that we could ever dream of. The internet is a vast shop window, isn't it? onto all that the world has to offer, what is it that we use it to look at? What do we put in? What do we catch ourselves daydreaming about, fantasizing about, imagining for ourselves that life could be like? Brothers and sisters, Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw a life and a lifestyle that was far from God and his promise, but to him it looked just like what he pictured the blessed life to be. But his senses were deceiving him because that wasn't where God's blessing was to be found, but rather God's curse. Friends, knowing what we know 
about that place, would you have made the same choice as Lot? Knowing that 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 world was shortly to be judged and have actual hellfire and brimstone rain down upon it, would you still have chosen to live there? Well, I hope you, you wouldn't. Why then would we build our lives and plan our futures based on what we can see and touch and taste here in this world? Shortly to be judged shortly to be judged rather than on what God has promised to give us forever? Why would we move our lives out of the center of God's will to gain something that we know is not going to last into eternity? Like God's people in the past, we can find ourselves, can't we, gazing into the rearview mirror, looking around, wondering what life would have been like if we'd stayed in that world. What choices would be open to us? What life could have been ours? But brothers and sisters, Lot teaches us that we cannot trust our senses to lead us to real blessing. Because inside the city we can see is a world of sin that is under God's curse. So then how does God want us to live and choose and plan our lives? Well, coming to our final point then. Seen the rear view? Now the real view, the real view. We we live in a culture, don't we, that's geared to vision. It's a feast for the eyes. But it was Martin Luther who said that the ears are the only organ of the Christian. The ears are the only organ of the Christian. We live as Christians not by what we see in the world, but by what we hear in God's Word. That is the difference between these two guys That is how Abram chose. He left it up to God. And look, verse 14, God now tells him what he's gained. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. See, Genesis is drawing a contrast there. See, God says, lift up your eyes. Look around and see. It's exactly the same phrase as we find in verse 10. But this time the Lord is inviting Abram to lift up his eyes and see what? A land that is not yet his. In other words, a promised land. A city that he could not see. Look, says God, what I've promised to give you. Look what it's like. How is it described there in those verses? Well, we can't see it. It's not described. By contrast with the really rich description of the valley, there's no description at all of this promised land. We're not given a viewing. We're given a hearing. God has promised it. So it is the place of his blessing. That was as unseeable there and then as God's promise in verse 16. He he promises, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Who could Abram see standing there? Himself and his wife, a couple too old to have children anymore. And God's telling him what? That he would have more children than could be counted? Let me tell you, Abram knew That did not look like God's blessing there and then. But God had promised his blessing. 
in that place through this family. And Abram counted that promise as more sure than what his eyes could see. Brothers and sisters, as countercultural as it is, God's promise is a much firmer foundation for us to build our lives on than what we see going on around us. Where God has promised his blessing, that is where we must surely build. Even though just now we cannot see it in full. And we need to be prepared for the fact that tomorrow when you go to work, or in your family, or in your classes, that that choice will seem to all the world like utter madness. Seeing is believing, isn't it? Why not just go with what feels right? But the Bible tells us that that choice that Abram and Lot had to make then is the same choice that we need to make every day, because the choice every day is this. It is between this world and the world to come. It is between a fallen creation and a new creation. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abram made his home in the promised land like a stranger living in a tent because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. He chose to rest his hope in what he couldn't see or touch or taste because he considered God's promise of it more real and more secure than what he could see or touch or taste. And so he didn't look around him and say, I see God's blessing over there. Nor did he look behind him and say, I missed God's blessing back there. If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return, says Hebrews. If they'd been looking in the rearview mirror, they might have turned around. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, past tense, a city prepared, ready, waiting. And Abram chose to live for that city, that home, that future, that destiny he could not see or touch because he believed God's promise that he would be blessed in God's promised place. And brothers and sisters, we live by faith in that very same thing. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor any human heart imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, does that promise of eternal life in a new heavens and a new earth not mean more to us than anything that this life could give? or anything that this world could offer. There was a minister in in the 1600s, a man called Richard Baxter. Uh, He wrote lots of great books. Uh, He's a solid guy, but he would spend half an hour every day walking around a field and picturing himself in heaven. Uh, Now, I'm not saying that we have to do that. In fact, I'm probably not saying that you should do that at all. But... We don't do anything like that, do we? How much of our day is spent turning over in our minds the promises of God for our eternity? We think that we risk being too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly use, but, but the real risk, I think, today is that we become too earthly-minded to be of any heavenly use. 
And so as we close, I want to urge you again to live, live for the city that you cannot see. Go into this week with your eyes fixed on eternity, building your life on Christ himself. Because he is the yes to all of God's promises, and he is the heart of that promised land. Though you have not seen him, you love him, says Peter. Is that true? Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Can we say that of ourselves? One day, friends, we will see him. Our faith will be turned to sight. We sang about that day earlier. What, what is it we'll open our eyes and, and see on that day? The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace, not at the crown he gives me, but on his nail-pierced hands. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Friends, he is the real blessing, and that is the real view. So live for the city, the world, the king that you cannot see, because God has promised you in Jesus that it will be yours forever if your hope is fixed on him as your Lord and your Savior. Let's pray that would be true together now. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we confess that our eyes are so often turned down and gaze at the ground and, Lord, at the meager things of this world that hold no promise of life. Forgive us, we pray. Lord, lift our eyes, we ask by your Spirit, to things that are above where Christ is seated at your right hand. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to live for the future for the hope that you have given us in the gospel, for it is a sure and a certain hope. We thank you for Jesus, who is the anchor of our souls, tethering us to the space behind the curtain, eternity itself. We thank you that he has gone ahead to prepare a place for us in your house. And how we pray, Lord, that that would mean more to us than, than all that we see all that we touch and taste in this world. Help us, we pray, to live by the promise of your word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.